gotta understand something here. This music is the glue of the world. It holds it all together. Without this, life would be meaningless. Welcome to Sound Opinions. I'm Jim DeRogatis, the pop music critic at the Chicago Sun-Times. And I'm Greg Cutt. I write about rock and roll for the Chicago Tribune. Tonight on the world's only rock and roll talk show, we're going to go south of the border, Jim, to explore some of the most exciting sounds being made in rock music today. Rock and Espanol. Our tour guide is going to be author and music journalist Ernesto Lechner. Plus, we've got reviews of the new albums by Marxist hip-hop underground heroes The Coup and the collaboration by Elvis Costello and the jazz New Orleans legend Alan Toussaint, as well as your Desert Island jukebox pick, Mr. Cott. But first, as always, we have some music news. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. You're beautiful. Ah, uh, if you've been lucky enough not to have heard that before, <laughs> that is James Blunt, the uh, UK's answer in some ways, I guess, to Dave Matthews or, or David Gray Light, perhaps. I don't know what he is. <laughs> what he is is rich. He sold 7 million copies of the Back to Bedlam album. Uh, this is a story that tickled our fancy, though. Last week, we're talking about the Dixie Chicks, right? And there is an unofficial boycott by American country radio against the Dixie Chicks for having spoken their minds about President Bush. Despite that, debuted at number one. Yeah, sold over 500,000 copies. 500,000 copies. So that's good. But radio in America is refusing to play the Dixie Chicks. Radio in Britain is now refusing (laughs) to play James Blunt. And it couldn't happen to more of a milk toast schmuck. It was great because apparently sick and tired of being picked on by critics, and he hasn't even heard what we think of him, (laughs) James Blunt at an awards show a couple of weeks ago told critics, look, if you don't like my music, just don't listen to my songs. So UK Radio, Essex FM, one of the biggest stations in the UK, has said, okay, Mr. Blunt, we will take you up on that. This is their program director, Chris Cotton. Quote, we don't have anything against James Blunt, and we're pleased he's been so successful, but we really need a break! (laughs) While his songs have been very popular, there's a tremendous amount of industry pressure to play certain artists frequently. Often this can be out of step with the audience taste. Apparently the audience has better taste than the industry in the UK as in America, which results in songs being overplayed. We're happy to take a stand against this pressure and stop playing him, right? I I just think that's a great deal. Stop playing him. American Radio Stop playing him. Everybody stop playing yes. him. If I never hear this guy again. But, Greg, who is this guy? So we were down at South by Southwest, the, the music industry's biggest confab uh, every year. And, you know, every, every once in a while there's a phenomenon that all the industry people are talking about. Like, how did this happen? Yeah. You know, because we didn't really do it. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? Well, it's one thing when they engineer something. You know, like American Idol. You know, it's this big thing and everybody buys it, sells 15 bazillion copies. But where did this goofball come from? Yeah, I mean, he was being hailed as Exhibit A of like, look, we can still develop, you know, these stars organically. It, it wasn't some big hype. It wasn't some big uh, media marketing campaign. Nonetheless, his, his songs got picked up. And now we've heard You're Beautiful and Goodbye, My Lover, those two huge hits off that record, conservatively 
probably 10 million times a piece on radio. <laughs> if you listen to radio at all, you've heard this guy, whether you wanted to or not. You know, it's clear that people are tired of those two songs. And i got to give this program director a lot of credit for standing up to the industry and saying, no, people don't want to hear these songs anymore. Well, you know, the, the justification that radio programmers in the mainstream, horrible corporate radio world always give is we are just responding to what our listeners want. And heck, back in America, if 500,000 people buy the Dixie Chicks, doesn't that mean the Dixie Chicks are wanted by the fans, and yet country radio in America won't play the Dixie Chicks? Yeah. No, that's absurd. Double standard. Double standard. Ah, yes, classic. That is the biggest band in Finland. <laughs> that would be Lordi, L-O-R-D-I, with Hail Rock Alleluia. Who are these guys and why the heck are we talking about them? Just because we couldn't, there's like six stupid jokes about this band and we're going to get to every one of them. So the biggest band in Finland right now just won the Eurovision Song Contest, which you, you remember, Greg, is that, that long-standing contest that all of Europe participates in, most famously produced ABBA. Mm-hmm. I can't think of any other Eurovision Song winners that ever went anywhere, but ABBA won and it put them on the map and you know then they made a million great songs. But these guys kind of look like a combination of Guar and Linda Blair in full-on demonic <laughs> possession exorcist mode <laughs> and uh, they are never photographed without their makeup on and their uh, masks however a uh, Finnish publication two tabloid newspapers in fact published pictures of Mr. Lordy the head guy uh, Tommy <laughs> Mr. Put- Lordy Putensu, I guess I guess is how you would say it. Uh, you know, not only was Mr. Lordy seen without his makeup, but he was seen wearing glasses, which apparently is a, is a big scandal. And <laughs> the Lordy fans are on the verge of rioting for, because, because they, <laughs> their heroes have been unmasked. 200,000 Finnish fans of this band have signed a petition protesting that Lordy was unmasked. And there was a gathering of some 90,000 people at a free concert, and they were all ticked off that Lordy was unmasked. I was like, what is going on here? The name of the album? The Great Arocalypse. Well, any band that has an album titled The Great Arocalypse <laughs> deserves to have the largest public gathering in the history of Helsinki. I mean, 90,000 people coming out for a free show. They've never seen anything like it in Helsinki. You know, and I can only imagine what happened when Kiss came unmasked, not nearly the hullabaloo that this has caused. You know, think of if Slipknot took their masks off today and were photographed in the flesh, would anybody be that upset? I don't think anybody cares. <laughs> but fans in Finland really care about this band, clearly. What, uh, has there ever been a good rock band from Finland? Yeah, what's what's the last Finnish uh, rock know. juggernaut, you know? I, uh, the reason to be upset ever? would be if, if they unmasked Mr. Lordy and he turned out to be James Blunt. Oh, oh, That is Desmond Decker singing about the Rude Boys uh, rioting in Jamaica and uh, fighting with the police and soldiers in 007 Shantytown, one of many big hits he had in the 60s. Desmond Decker, who died recently at the age of 63, according to the best estimates about his age, was the king of Jamaican reggae. Long before there was Bob Marley, there was Desmond Decker. 
he sort of uh, forged that blue beat and ska sound that was a precursor to reggae. He was a childhood friend of Marley's, actually produced Marley's first record. He was the one artist who actually brought reggae music, ska music, to the West with a massive, massive song called Israelites, which, you know, again, was kind of a an example of uh, the kind of songwriter he was. He had this beautiful high voice, but as a social commentator, a social observer, he was very astute in looking at what was going on in his country and commenting upon the, the troubles of the underclass. And here in the song Israelites, uh, comparing the underclass of Jamaica and their struggles with the struggles of the Jews when they left Egypt and yeah. were exiled from Egypt in the Bible, the, the Exodus, the story of Exodus. You know, a lot of people were sort of, you know, puzzled by, well, what's this mention of Israelites in this Jamaican song? But he was drawing Being clear exiled, parallels exiled there. exiled from Africa. Exactly. Yeah. Clearly set the mold for, for Marley in terms of the political content of the lyrics paired with the absolutely celebratory, uplifting sound of the music. And this guy's been a hero to three generations of ska bands. Of course, spearheading the first wave. You know, ska preceded reggae. People forget that. Reggae came after ska. The second wave in the mid-70s, mid to late 70s, after punk rock with bands like The Specials and The English Beat. And then the movement that started uh, in the 90s and continues in the punk rock underground. A vibrant, vital, thriving ska scene here in America today. No doubt, remember? Started as a ska band, as well as hundreds of other groups, Less Than Jake, stuff like that. You know, they hold Desmond Decker as the hero even more than Bob Marley. Absolutely. And uh, they really related to these this guy's lyrics. I mean, this guy was talking hard politics. He was talking uh, social justice uh, long before anybody else was. And dancing while he was doing it. Exactly. Uh, there's no other way to pay tribute to Desmond Decker than to play the Israelites. Uh, we, I think we got to hear a taste of that. Absolutely. Get up in the morning, sleeping for breakfast, so that every mouth can be fed. Desmond Decker with Israelites. You're listening to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio, and what you're hearing is a little bit of the Mexican group Nortec Collective, one of many recent rock acts to uh, explode out of Latin America and make a big impression in the Western world. And we brought in an expert to talk about it today, Ernesto Lechner, my colleague at the Chicago Tribune, Los Angeles-based writer who has written for numerous publications about Latin music over the last several decades, and he's the author of a new book that is the authoritative text on rock and espanol, the Latin alternative rock explosion. Ernesto, welcome to Sound Opinions. Hi, it's great to be here. It's great to have you, man. And this book is a great primer about a movement that has been in existence for about 40 years, but it has become 
a movement that is impossible for a North American audience to ignore in the fact that it has infiltrated the music here, it has infiltrated some of the radio stations, and it has a huge, huge touring base in North America now. So, Ernesto, let's start from there. Why now? Why a book on rock and espanol now? It's been around for 40 years. Well, I think it's not a coincidence that rock and espanol has been gaining notoriety in the United States now, or at least for the last 10 years, because the genre really came of age recently. It started as a genre that I actually used to hate because all it did was imitate the stuff that was happening in mainstream rock and pop. So in the 60s, you had all these uh, bands in Argentina and Mexico trying to copy the Beatles and Bob Dylan and the Stones. Then in the 70s, you had this uh, string of uh, progressive rock bands in Espanol. And then in the 80s, all these Cure and Joy Division copycats. <laughs> what happened, though, was that there was a new generation of rockers in Espanol who grew up listening to the LPs of their parents, the traditional Latin stuff, bossa novas and cha-cha-chas, Cuban music, Brazilian, Argentinian tangos. And they started to incorporate that into what they were doing. And that's when Latin rock became really fascinating. So rather than just copying the North American sounds and the sounds from England, bands began to turn to their own heritage and bring that music in. Right, Ernesto? Exactly. The sounds of mainstream rock and pop from England and the U.S., I think they define music all over the world. What's interesting, though, about Latin music right now is that, yes, you do have the influence of electronic, of rock, of uh, grunge in the early 90s, but that is blended with traditional Latin music, and you have something that's new and very exciting. That having been said, you kind of reject, uh, despite it being the title of your book, Rock in Espanol, as a genre, in the sense that there are many sonic dissimilarities between these bands. Many of the, of the best groups have very little to do in terms of sounding like each other. They're singing in Spanish, many of them, and so they get put into kind of a Spanish ghetto. You know, even the term rock in Espanol, I have to admit, that is extremely politically incorrect <laughs> among the people inside the genre. And I named the book Rock and Espanol because I do believe that this genre started and is still all about doing rock and Espanol. But people like to call it the PC term for this Latin alternative. Mm. Because, yes, it is true that the genre encompasses so many different sounds. And not only that, you've got a whole batch of Brazilian bands that sing primarily in Portuguese. Yes, and I do say in the book that if I got extensively into Brazilian rock, that you could write a, an entire book because uh, the Brazilians are musical cannibals. I mean, they <laughs> mm -hmm. talk about musically omnivorous. They always, anything that they like, they incorporate into their music. And their music is very rich, you know, because of the samba and the bossa nova and all these different styles, the forró from the north. I think also, you know, talking about Brazil brings me to, I think, a central point about why this genre is so vital now. To my mind, the bands that you're discussing in this book are some of the most vital rock bands in the world. Forget about what genre they're from. For a number of years, it was very difficult to even be a rock band in a lot of these countries that you're talking about. You know, there was a, there was a ban <laughs> on rock concerts in Mexico for a good long time. In Brazil, people were jailed for performing this type of music. Which kind of brings me back to the beginnings of this sound. One of the bands I wanted to talk about was Os Mutantes, was a Brazilian band of the late 60s, was sort of brought back to life. Uh, people like Kurt Cobain of Nirvana 
mm-hmm. wanted to have Os Mutantes reform so that they could open for them, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. when they were touring South America. And you have people like Beck and uh, David Byrne name-checking this band. And now Os Mutantes is reforming, actually, and, and they're going to be playing shows this summer, including the uh, Pitchfork Festival here in Chicago. Talk a little bit about the environment that birthed a band like Os Mutantes. Well, it's just a fascinating band. It's really Brazilian psychedelia, and that's a great blend. Uh, you have this this psychedelic late, late 60s sound combined with uh, lyrics in Portuguese and with some samba and bossa nova soundscapes, and the result is really mesmerizing. Eu quis In some ways, they were roundly rejected. They weren't really welcomed with open arms in Brazil, except by a small faction of listeners. It was definitely a cult group. You know, Brazil experienced an amazing musical movement in the 60s with the Bossa Nova, which was one of those rare instances where a musical movement is commercial, it's popular, and it's also hip and sophisticated. Mm -hmm. So in a way, everybody was happy. Heck, even uh, Sinatra loved that music. He was recording uh, (laughs) Antonio Carlos Jobim songs. (laughs) That's actually a great record with Jobim. He did a record with Jobim. And And Ernesto, that was one of the first times Latin music came into the American pop mainstream. You can still hear that influence of bossa nova on bands like Tortoise and The Sea and the Cake. How did that sound explode like it did? Here you have an instance where a song defines an entire movement, and that was uh, Agarota de Ipanema, the girl from Ipanema. You have an amazing composer like Antonio Carlos Jobim blossoming in the, in the early 60s, mid-60s. Mm-hmm. Then you have a, a very finicky, very particular guitarist by the name of Jorge Gilberto, and you have Stan Getz recording an album with them, and then you have Jorge Gilberto's wife, Astrud, who allegedly, you know, legend has it that she had never sang before mm-hmm. and she was asked to sing. They, she was in the studio and, you know, why don't you sing part of the song? And she agreed. And that song, I mean, I could, I guess I could listen to that song every day thousands of times and you never get tired of it. It's, it's exciting. It's simple and sophisticated at the same time. So I think the world just went crazy because it was something similar to the Beatles, music that is high quality and commercial at the same time. You feel good when you listen to it. And thin and young and lovely The girl from Ipanema goes walking And when she passes, each one she passes goes listening to Sound Opinions on Chicago Public Radio. We'll be back with more after a short break about rock and espanol, plus reviews of the new albums by Elvis Costello and The Coup. Smiles, but she does. 
Welcome back to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio. We're talking with Ernesto Lechner, author of Rock en Español, The Latin Alternative Rock Explosion. And we were just talking about the influence of bossa nova music, uh, but Ernesto, let's take this discussion into the 80s. That's when the music of Latin America really took a turn. You could see this new sound, this distinctiveness starting to... uh, The seeds of that were being planted in the rock bands that were coming out of there. And the fabulous Cadillacs, they formed in Argentina in the mid-80s, right? I mean, you consider this band, I think, maybe the the forefathers of this modern rock and espanol movement in a lot of ways. I think that Fabulosos Cadillacs are together with, and unfortunately they are no longer together, Mm -hmm. uh, which is really a pity, Um, together with Café Tacuba, those are the two most transcendental bands of the entire genre. Uh, What Fabulosos Cadillacs did is just unbelievable, especially if you study their development, because they started as a band that was the antithesis of cool. They started as a ska band at a time when in Argentina you didn't do a thing like that. You didn't just create a ska band and perform at the Buenos Aires clubs with, you know, with dark suits and with sunglasses. So people, and me included, I was in Buenos Aires at the time and when the Cadillacs came out, we were just, it was the band you loved to hate. (laughs) They were were crass. They didn't know how to play the instruments. They came up with the name Fabulosos Cadillacs and they decided to form a band before taking any music lessons. They did songs, like one of their songs was called uh, My Girlfriend Fell in a Septic Tank. That was the title <laughs> of one of their songs. So, but what happened is that they persevered and they kept touring. They started touring throughout Latin America. And then something very important that happened to them is they fell in love with salsa. They discovered the ethics of a barrio salsa band. And that's a wonderful thing to discover because the, I think that salsa is in spirit very close to rock and roll. Mm-hmm. And there's a discipline to those bands. There's some amazing stuff that they do instrumentally. I love the big band lineup that they have with a you know, brass section, with a percussion section that includes drums, congas, bongos, timbales. And in a way, they said to themselves, hey, let's try to to be really good players. Let's try to have this discipline where every we perform almost every night. And I think they really became proficient at playing and their compositional ideas gelled. And all of a sudden, their music started sounding more exciting than anything else you could hear on the planet at that moment. Mm-hmm. And they had a huge hit, a global hit, with a song called Matador, that is like the perfect rock and espanol anthem. It has batucada drums, and it has a politically aware lyric. Uh, it's just perfect. <laughs> Cadillacs, clearly, it wasn't just an Argentinian band, right, Ernesto? I mean, these guys were influencing bands. I would imagine that their rising from the gutter, as you say, to some sort of notoriety must have had an influence on other young people in Latin America to form their own rock bands. You know, that's a great point, because in the 80s, two Argentine bands started touring. One, called Soda Stereo, it became the first rock and espanol supergroup, and I'm not really into their music as much. 
But it's very important that they were accepted massively and that they toured stadiums and that there was an awareness that this new music, Latin rock, was becoming a force to be reckoned with. Los Cadillacs are a different story because they really toured, like you said, from the gutter. In fact, the Vicentico, the lead singer of the Cadillacs, still has a scar from one of the rocks that he got on the face while he was performing. <laughs> True uh, innovators in always do, Ernesto. It's a, you know, Johnny <laughs> exactly. Rotten has many scars, too. There you go. Ernesto, tell us a little bit about Café Tacuba. You cite them in your book as one of the most influential bands in the whole movement. All through the 90s, their work inspiring a lot of other people, and they continue to do so today. Basically, you're listening to the equivalent of the Beatles, late-era Beatles in Latin America, a band of four friends who changed the landscape of Latin music forever, where through a very specific sensibility... They combine any musical genre that moves them from Beatlesque pop to conventional mainstream rock and roll to Mexican wapangos, old-fashioned boleros. And they do this with an exquisite taste and a very infectious sense of humor. They're really a one-of-a-kind band that I think everybody could enjoy. Well, and I think they're subversives. I would see them perform, and they were, you know, there wasn't a traditional drummer in the band or percussionist. They were using a drum machine. They were playing these heavy metal chords, except with these little Mexican guitars. They were blending the traditional sounds into these modern electronic and rock sounds, but they were doing it in a very innovative way. It wasn't just like putting one on top of the other. They were really blending them in ways that were kind of mind-bending. I think, generally speaking, Latin rock succeeds at its best when it is very much aware of the ever-present underdevelopment of Latin America, Mm. Uh, when it speaks about the constant paradox in which all those countries exist and live an everyday life that is filled with extreme levels of pain and joy. And you can definitely feel that in Café Tacuba. It's like a musical translation of everything that Latin American stands for, the absurdity, the poetry, the lyricism. Listening to Sound Opinions from Chicago Public Radio, and we are talking to Ernesto Lechner, the author of Rock and Espanol, the Latin Alternative Rock Explosion. Ernesto, you made an interesting point a couple seconds ago where you're talking about the Latin American rockers being at their best when they are talking about the political conditions surrounding them. You know, Chuck D famously said of hip hop, it is the CNN of the ghetto. It sounds like you're saying something very similar that we can't separate the culture and, of course, the musical heritage or the politics of the countries that these artists are coming from and their current music. Yes, and I think that um, when you live in Latin America, you learn to live in a state where you accept the absurd uh, (laughs) as a a part of daily routine. And uh, life in Latin America is a life of contrasts. 
a lot of pain, a lot of hunger, but also a lot of joy. And I think that, in a way, the reason why rock and espanol is blossoming, has been blossoming for the last 15 years, is because this new generation of performers are not afraid to embrace that contradiction. Mm-hmm. And you have something, especially in Mexico, there's a new electronica outfit called MIS, the Mexican Institute of Sound. This is one guy named Camilo Lara. He's actually a label executive with EMI in Mexico. And on the side, he moonlights as MIS, the Mexican Institute of Sounds. And he makes these really fun, humorous, electronica collages, mixing spoken word and cumbia and uh, house and drum and bass. And I was talking to him the other day and he said, you know what, I love... Cuban crooners like Bola de Nieve, for instance, and the Smiths, and I love them equally. Mm. And I don't see why not. It, would be, it wouldn't be tons of fun to blend those two together and make music that mirrors these two contrasting elements that I love equally. He also said that when you go, and that is very much true of any urban metropolis in Latin America, be it Buenos Aires or Lima, Peru, or Mexico City, that when you walk in the streets, you are bombarded with all these musical genres. It can be reggae, it can be hardcore punk, it can be merengue, it can be salsa, and that becomes, in a way, the soundtrack of your life. Hmm. Well, it's fascinating, and I think you can hear some of those elements, those hybrids, popping up in some of the key bands that you're talking about from the 90s and beyond in your book talking about Orishas, the hip-hop group from Cuba, <coughs> and the Nortec Collective from Mexico, and the group Atercio Pilatos from Colombia. Talk a little bit about that band, which I think has had a fascinating history of combining all these genres of music. They actually had an appearance on The Tonight Show in 2001. Yes, unfortunately, it was a very bizarre appearance at The Tonight Show. I was actually there, and I watched it, and I was very sad because I felt that was... A defining moment for rock and espanol, actually. Um, it was an opportunity. And unfortunately, the, their wonderful singer, Andrea Echeverri, performed the entire song with her eyes closed, which I don't think was a very good idea. <laughs> um, and you could feel the crowd you know, of mainstream Americans. You could feel the energy of them thinking, you know, where are we? This is like a band from Mars. So maybe the choice of song, the choice of wardrobe, the whole setting wasn't ideal for rock and espanol to land in, in the mainstream American living room. But Aterciopelados is one of those bands that could have become and may still become a mainstream success in the United States. I still don't understand why Atreciopelados hasn't made it big here because if we focus, you know, on the Sonics, the band has many pop elements and it is really very, it's not a difficult band to like. You know, there have been Latin alternative artists who've had success in the United States. Uh, and one I wanted to talk about was Manu Chao, who's going to be one of the headliners at Lollapalooza this summer. He was part of this band Mano Negra that I actually saw open for Iggy Pop. Uh, in 1990, and made a huge impression on on, uh, the audience who had no idea who these people were. He's a fascinating figure, and by the way, I'm extremely envious that you get to see Mano Negra because I never got to see them. Mano Negra was, together with the Cadillacs, 
these are the two bands that really started it all, started the whole fusion concept. It is an extremely bizarre band because it's a band that was based in France and the musicians were Spanish. And here you have this European band being a pioneering group in Latin American rock. <laughs> yeah. um, and then Manu Chao decided to break up. You know, he was the leader. He was the singer-songwriter of Mano Negra. Decided to break up the band. And he did something very interesting. He made an album that is the quintessential European summer hit. It was a rock and espanol record, but at the same time, it was just so friendly and so poppy that I understand it has sold millions of copies in Europe and it made him a superstar. Mama was queen of the mambo, papa was king of the Congo. Deep down in the jungle, I start banging my first bongo. Every monkey like to be in my place instead of me, cause I'm the king of bongo, baby, I'm the king of bongo bong. I went to the big town where there is a lot of sound. From the jungle to the city, looking for a bigger crown. So I play my bongi for the people of big city, but they don't go crazy when I banging on my boogie. I'm the king of the This song Bongo Bong became a huge hit in Europe and it shows you rock and espanol at its most accessible. Manu Chao, I think, also points a way forward for Latin music. He's an example of the new wave of groups that are truly hybrids. They use elements and samples from all over the world and it's hard to tell where the music's coming from exactly. It's more of a global sound. You You just made a great point because I believe that through Electronica, rock and espanol has become truly global. And I don't know why, and I've, and I've been talking about this with musicians, with record label executives, and we really don't have an answer for it, why it is that when you combine electronica with traditional Latin music, it's really very difficult to go wrong. There are more and more records coming out of truly excellent music of what I call Latintronica, bands like Nortec and the Mexican Institute of Sound. And if anything, this shows that Latin musicians have now digested all the influences really, really well, and then they can make something, a product that is seamless, that doesn't attract attention to itself. Mm -hmm. So much as uh, many of the female rock bands have been complaining for years and working to a point where we are not known as a good female rock band, we're a good rock band, period. You'd like to see a point in rock and espanol where it's not not a good rock for guys singing in Spanish, it's just good rock, period. Precisely, yes. We've been talking with Ernesto Lechner, the author of Rock and Espanol, The Latin Alternative Rock Explosion. Ernesto, thanks for the uh, crash course in Latin music. We really enjoyed having you on Sound Opinions. A perfect primer. Thank you so much for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. You're listening to Morando a las Muchachas by one of Ernesto Lechner's favorite new bands, the Mexican Institute of Sound. For info on these guys and all the music we talked about in our all-too-brief tour of Rock and Espanol, you can always visit the footnotes at soundopinions.org. Up next, we're going to have reviews of new albums by Elvis Costello with Alan Toussaint and The Coup and a Desert Island jukebox pick from Mr. Cott.
Freedom for the stallion Freedom for the mare in a cold Freedom for the baby child Who has not grown old enough to vote Lord have mercy what you're gonna do About the people who are praying to you They got men making laws that destroy other men They made money, God, it's a no-good oh Lord, you got to help us find a way That is Elvis Costello, unmistakably his voice And you may not know the piano player on that song But that is Alan Toussaint, one of the uh, greats of New Orleans On a song called Freedom for the Stallion Written by Toussaint many years ago, but performed by Costello soon after the uh, Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans and devastated that uh, great city. Then, a few days later, uh, actually performed the song again, this time with Toussaint accompanying him. And from that collaboration, uh, the seed was grown into this album, this full-blown album between Toussaint and Costello. Toussaint's one of those unsung heroes of rock and roll and R&B of the last 40 years. He was uh, the guy who wrote Lee Dorsey's Yeah, Yeah, and Working in a Coal Mine. Chris Kenner's I Like It Like That. You could not have gone to a New Orleans recording session of any merit in the 60s or the 70s without Alan Toussaint having some kind of involvement as a songwriter, arranger, and a producer. Well, and his Crescent City horn section, one of the great horn sections of all time. Absolutely. Uh, the sound that Toussaint really established is that combination of that rolling piano, he was a big acolyte of Professor Longhair, combined with those horn riffs, uh, very distinctive horn arrangements that he created. And it had people like uh, Paul Simon and Paul McCartney, Sandy Denny, coming to New Orleans to record with him. Uh, he wrote uh, that huge hit for LaBelle, Lady Marmalade, the band's Rock of Ages. The horns on that record, arranged by Alan Toussaint. Mm. Uh, so this guy had an incredible role in music in the 60s and 70s. It has sort of faded into the background in the last 20 years. Costello says, here's one of these unsung heroes. I want to bring him back. No more timely moment than this one in the wake of Katrina to uh, appreciate what New Orleans has given us. And so we have the river in reverse, Costello, Toussaint collaborating. Here is a Alan Toussaint showcase on the record. Although Costello sings most of the lead vocals on this record, the one song on which he doesn't, I think, is actually the strongest song on the record and a very poignant commentary on Katrina and where New Orleans is today, even though this song was written decades ago. Alan Toussaint uh, with Costello on the song Who's Gonna Help Brother Get Further on Sound Opinions. Like everything's alright From the outside looking in Everything's uptight But deep down inside We're covering up the pain It's an old thing It's a soul thing But it's a real thing Pray tell what's gonna happen to brother
Elvis Costello and Alan Toussaint. Who's going to help a brother from the album The River in Reverse? Killer Horns on there, courtesy of Toussaint's uh, legendary Crescent City Horns, uh, one of the great horn sections in all of rock history. Cot, you're cheating. You're cheating because you play a track that makes it very hard for me to begin my critique of this album because it is Alan Toussaint singing and playing the piano, uh, one of his great tunes. It's very hard to criticize that. If you have any taste at all, you've got to like Alan Toussaint. He's an innovator. He's a great. Elvis Costello, I don't have as much use for. When Declan McManus is in his straight-ahead punk rock mode, i got no problems with him, okay? Especially in recent years, you know, with the imposters, he's been kind of going back to the more stripped-down, straight-ahead sounds. That's fine. But when he does the stylistic genre dabbling, you know, he goes country for Almost Blue, goes Baroque for Imperial Bedroom, goes, I don't know, classical avant-garde for the Juliet Letters that hangs out with Burt Bacharach, i got no Use for the guy. It requires you to accept that Costello is a great interpretive singer, and that is, in fact, the least of his talents. He's an awful vocalist, and he's singing lead on all of these great songs. He always mistakes over-singing for true emotion, and he's got a lousy voice to begin with, which is just fine. You know, it's fine for rock and roll to not be able to sing, you know, Bob Dylan, Lou Reed, etc. But for stuff like this, you know, Toussaint songs, especially on classic tracks like On the Way Down, and now here, this is what the record actually sounds like. Listen to Costello uh, just just hacking to pieces this Toussaint song, Nearer to You. I know you said that you'd be home soon. I got to be nearer, nearer to That's awful. I do not want to hear that. Like, Elvis, take the marbles out of your mouth. In the title track, which is a, a pure Costello original, he sings, Wake me up with a clap or a kiss. There must be something better than this. And he means it as, as you know, waking up from the nightmare of Katrina. But I will tell you, there is something better than this. And it would have been a tribute disc that really shined a light on Toussaint without... Uh, Costello having to hog the spotlight. I don't know why he's on this record. Well, I'll tell you why he's on this record, because no one would buy an Alan Toussaint record today, unfortunately, but they will but buy an how, Elvis Costello record how about perhaps Jack, to find out about Alan How Toussaint. about if Jack White did what he did with Loretta Lynn and made this record? Well, you know, I can think of three dozen people who would have been better to collaborate with, uh, uh, with Toussaint it, than it, Costello. It is clearly an odd pairing. I think uh, Costello's heart is in the right place, but his voice, as you pointed out, is not. We have to understand that Alan Toussaint wrote some very sophisticated R&B songs. I mean, people have compared him to Duke Ellington in terms of his range of musicality. Yeah, rightfully or to so. Or Backrack. And, and uh, Costello slaughtered Backrack songs, and he's, uh, <laughs> he's not exactly slaughtering this. It's not a total loss. I think there's going to be a lot of Costello fans who are going to find out about Toussaint uh, as a result of this record. I think the songs are terrific. Uh, some of them are beautiful commentaries uh, that really hold up in terms of what's going on in Katrina, what New Orleans music means. And for that reason, I think it needs to be heard, but it certainly doesn't need to be bought. Well, on no, the, uh, no. Patented <laughs> ro- uh, Sound Opinions rating scale, buy it, burn it, trash it. It's, it's, it's a burn it record for me. A burn it record. You know, the, the, the Toussaint vocal is certainly a burn it. I, I'm even on the fence with trashing the rest of it. Uh, the imposters do a passable job of of getting those New Orleans up-tempo grooves, but on the ballads, it's strictly Swamp City, baby. I'm here to laugh, love, and drink liquor, and help the damn revolution come quicker. Laugh, love, and drink liquor, and help make a revolution. I'm here to laugh, love, 
and drink liquor and help the damn revolution come quicker. Laugh, love, and drink liquor and maybe make a revolution. Now the stain finna end in fisticuffs, but if you guys two go here, twist it up. Yes, that is Laugh, Love, Blank by The Coup uh, on their fifth album, Pick a Bigger Weapon. Uh, we've bleeped one of the nasty words, but it was important to play that track because uh, it really does set the goal for this entire record. I'm here to laugh, love, blank, and drink liquor and help make the damn revolution come quicker. That is what Boots Riley, the main man behind this Oakland, California duo, has been trying to do throughout his career. Now, they've been uh, very popular in the underground hip-hop world from the early 90s. 1993, I think, was their debut record. But they're probably best known to the music world at large for the controversy that followed 9-11. They were putting out a record called Party Music, and on the cover was Boots Riley and uh, his partner, DJ Pam the Funkstress, one of my favorite names of all time, blowing up the World Trade Center presciently a couple of weeks before the tragedy of 9-11. That caught them a lot of hell. They were demonized by the Fox Network for uh, a track that I think epitomizes the coup at its best, Five Million Ways to Kill a CEO. Wickedly funny satire uh, that I think uh, is especially appropriate in the wake of stuff like Enron, where uh, Riley would just suggest one silly thing after another about a way to uh, do in a greed-hungry corporate executive, representing the perfect balance between his strident, Marxist politics. Uh, This guy is uh, far to the left of Chuck D. Uh, Maybe even (laughs) to the left of Noam Chomsky. Mixing that with righteous anger, wicked satire, and these wonderful electro-synth grooves. That's what they've done in the past. They're taking a turn with this record by recording mostly live in the studio with a big band featuring Tom Morello of Audio Slave and Rage Against the Machine, Dwayne Wiggins of Tony Tony Tone, and members of the Maze and, and the Gap Band, kind of going for what Digital Underground did, updated those psychedelic party grooves of Parliament Funkadelic. Mm-hmm. Um, let's hear a little bit of it. There are all sorts of tracks on here that we could not play, lest Jim Russell at American Public Media send me more soap in the mail, but this is one that we can. My favorite mutiny by The Coup on Chicago Public Radio. If you got the nerve, lash out for your just desserts. It's not just the words. Some of y'all heads up in the cloud. I'ma bring y'all back to earth. It's black back to burn. Bullshit y'all talking about. Out your mouth, I'm not concerned. Cause y'all got the nerve. It's y'all turned like Detroit Red. When his head had an ultra perm. The long walk, I burned your bare heels. So throw on your boots. The game camouflage like army suits. But I can see it more clear. Cause I came with the coop in here. Ring the alarm and form the troops. Send them out into the world. Go to war on the fluke. Out of eye with the enemy. Sworn to shoot. Now I'm coming at your neck, sick of hearing something wrong with me. Motherfucker, something wrong with you. When the chief just way too smart to question. The enemy, the brothers of a dark complexion. The governments of the world is shark infested. They have the own weaponry like Shark and Heston, man. Look, it gets low, man. My favorite mutiny from The Coup, Raymond Boots Riley. And what's her name? Funk Mistress Pam? DJ Pam the Funkstress. Yeah. Get it right. All right. DJ Pam the Funkstress. Gotta love that name. Pick a Bigger Weapon is the name of the record. It's one thing to rant and be all political, but, you know, nobody's going to pay attention to you if all you're doing is preaching at them. 
you know, you got to combine it with some grooves. You got to have some party music in there. Sure. While people are dancing, uh, make them think a little bit. He does that very well on this record, I think, for the most part. Some of the humor works, some of it doesn't. I think some of it's a little bit of a one-joke variety. It's okay. It's great to hear a song about, uh, you know, poking fun at Saddam and Bush, but I don't think I want to hear it again. That, that, would, be, that, that would be Head of State, yes. which resorts to a nursery rhyme couplet about fellatio that's repeated again and again. Let's not forget Ass-Breath Killers, yeah. which invents uh, some sort of mystical potion for uh, brown nosers, yeah, yeah, or, I, or I Love Boosters, which is kissing up to shoplifters. Shoplifters, yeah. Songs I never really want to hear again, uh, to be honest with you. No. And, uh, you know, there, there's no reason for that. At the same time, here Here's a guy who never really wrote love songs before and is now sort of incorporating some of those in, in, in very clever ways into his view on the, on the world at large. I like that he's taking some chances in that direction. Not a completely successful record. Whether you agree with his politics or not, there are some very fine grooves on this record, some very fine uh, funk-based music in that, as you said, Parliament Funkadelic. I hear shades of Dirty Mind era Prince in this record as well. He's a very smart man, sometimes too smart for his own good. In some cases, I think he's outsmarted himself with the humor on this record. So I can't recommend it the way I would have party music. I think that was one of the best hip-hop albums of 2001. This is a very good record, but not a great one. I, I think you're being way kind to it. Uh, you know, I, I do like uh, some of the love stuff. The song Baby Let's Have a Baby Before Bush Do Something Crazy, yeah. where you have Silky coming in and doing that guest turn on it, is a great track. But it's 17 songs long, clocks in at more than 65 minutes, and it is not worth the trouble to wade through. It's not only lyrically, because there is a lot of that, that potty humor, uh, lowest common denominator, like Adam Sandler sophomoric pandering. He, you know, he's smarter than that. Yeah. He's better than that. There's a lot of that, but it's also a musical mess because, you know, it never gets into that hypnotic groove. You know, you can listen to a Parliament Funkadelic track that's 19 minutes long, and it just seems like it goes by like that. Here, it's just like the channels are changing constantly, and while there is occasional musical magic, it doesn't nearly sustain. It breaks my heart, Greg, to say it because uh, I've, I've seen and heard great promise in this guy in the past, but this is a trash it record. On our rating scale of buy it, burn it, trash it, i got to give it to trash it. Yeah, I don't think it's that bad. Uh, you know, <laughs> I, I would I would delete three or four tracks, definitely. There's no doubt about it. I don't want to hear three or four of these tracks again, especially the ones that are attempting this kind of foul humor. It just doesn't work over repeated listens. Uh, but I disagree with you about the grooves. I, I think they're there for uh, the majority of these tracks. Much like Desmond Decker, he uh, combines the party with the politics, and unfortunately it's not completely successful, but I'll give it a burn it. I'm all about combining the two, Greg. I just wish he did it better. Uh, I, I've got to stick with my trash it. I tell you, little buddy, this whole island is bewitched. Just to cast away, island lost the sea. Now I'm stranded on my own. Stranded far from home. Come on. You remember? We were shipwrecked together. Stranded out of my home. Stranded, yeah, I'm on my own. Each week, Greg or I take a turn at popping a quarter into the Desert Island jukebox. Greg, this week, it's your turn. What do you got? Well, Jim, I'm all fired up after our conversation with uh, Ernesto Lechner about uh, rock and espanol, and especially talking about the Tropicalia movement in Brazil in the late 60s and early 70s. I mean, the, the notion of people going to jail and getting kicked out of their country for playing music based on uh, Western rock music. Yeah. Uh, you know, The notion of sitting around in Brazil taking psychedelic <laughs> drugs is enough for me. I mean, that's... I'm sold. Absolutely. And, and you know, the influence of that era goes on and on with uh, bands like the High Llamas or artists like Feist. And one of the biggest uh, advocates of the Tropicalia movement was uh, Beck. 
continues to be Beck, particularly on his album Mutations, recorded quickly after a tour in two weeks, the, the quickest he's ever done a record. And uh, just the idea of sort of doing an odds and sods collection of, of songs that interested him, sort of folk-based songs. And um, naming the record uh, Mutations, clearly a name check there for Os Mutantes. Not a lot of people were aware of who Os Mutantes was in 1998. Beck sort of giving a sly wink saying, you know, I appreciated what was going on there. And the real key is a song called Tropicalia itself in the middle of the record which definitely pays homage to that particular movement. The folk-based bossa nova chords, the gentle singing, combining it with these kind of weird art rock guitars and synthesizer pulses, really taking the song somewhere new, much as the Tropicalistas took bossa nova somewhere new in the 60s. So the whole idea of pop collage, we talk about Beck combining all these different styles of music and creating something new out of it. You know, Beck wasn't the first guy to try something like that. Uh, you know, the Tropicalistas in Brazil in the 60s were masters of that, and clearly Beck loved what they were doing and, and paid a little tribute on this particular track from the Mutations record. You can hear how the song sort of begins in a sort of deceptively gentle, lilting manner, but yet he's singing about death and decay, much as the uh, Tropicalia artists were singing these gentle, lilting bossa nova songs about the decay in their own government. Yeah, and, political and corruption. the society going, uh, going haywire. And then the song goes from this sort of gentle path and becomes progressively weirder, much the way Os Mutantes would have taken a song. You know, it starts out one way, mm-hmm. it finishes somewhere else. So you can hear the influence of that particular movement in Beck's music. And uh, Tropicalia is a great example of that.
Greg Cott's Desert Island Jukebox pick, Tropicalia by Beck. I think back in the days before Scientology, if <laughs> yes, I recall. I think so. What do we have for next week, Mr. Cott? Uh, next week, we've got a big listener participation show. We're going to be talking about Buried Treasures, our favorite under-the-radar records of recent weeks and months. And uh, we are definitely wanting listener input on this one. We are men enough to admit that we cannot possibly listen to all of the <laughs> 10,000 albums that come out a year. So if you've got some suggestions for us to turn us on the records that you think were great in the last couple of months that we've missed... Bring them on! Absolutely. Send us an email at interact at soundopinions.org, and there's a discussion at the soundopinions.org message board as well. Get on the show. Best way to do it is send us an email and let us know what your pick is, and we'll try to get you on the show next week. Got some thank yous to say on our way out. Tori Southside Malatia is our beloved executive producer. Todd Bachman is on vacation, but he's still the managing producer and director. Matt Fingerspiegel is the man behind the mixing board. Jason Saldana is an associate producer, as is Robin the Fugstress, Robin Lynn. We got technical assistance from Joe Dassault, Drew Bodker, and Steve Warinowskis. Dino Armiros gives us legal help. And Jim MacDaddy Russell is our man in American public media. Thanks for listening, and uh, I'm going to go visit uh, Caetano Veloso in Brazil, Jim, so I'll see you maybe in a month or so. You've been trying to get the trip to send you down there forever. It hasn't worked yet. 